right, First Chronicles chapter 21. Uh, if you are in the adult auditorium on Wednesday nights, you'll notice this is uh, something that we read a couple of weeks ago. And as we read those uh, passages and, and chapters on Wednesday nights, especially when we're in the Old Testament, uh, at least for me sometimes it's, it's hard for me to not uh, just get bogged down almost thinking of it as something just to get through and, and to not, you know, it, I have to focus on trying to, to pull a lesson from our reading uh, sometimes to be able to do that. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a, starting there in verse 9, just to get everybody on the same page, uh, in, in Chronicles 21 is where it talks about David and his sin uh, when he numbered the people. He basically took a census of the people. Uh, it seems like what we can gather from the context here and in 2 Samuel, it seems like he, he came up with this idea on his own. Even Joab recognized that there was something wrong with doing this and tried to get him not to do that. And David insisted that I want to number the people. Uh, it seems like to say you know, to know how many people they have. And uh, this was a sin. As you read the context here, you see verse 7, God was displeased with this thing and he struck Israel. Um, and so I wanted to pick up and read what, what my lesson is going to be based on is really starting in verse 9. Um, but we see again in verse 7, God was displeased. Verse 8, uh, David says to God, I've sinned greatly. Uh, please take away this iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. And then in verse 9, the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. In verse 13, David said to God, I am in great distress Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of men. And then we see as you continue reading through there that, that uh, the Lord sent a plague uh, and, and Israel was punished. And we know uh, about uh, what happens around that. But what I wanted to draw out from this is when we read that the other day, and as I think about uh, what David did there, you know, when he's offered these three choices of punishment... The one that he picks uh, is basically he chooses the sword of the Lord. And, and that, that catches my attention because when I put myself in David's shoes or in his situation, I don't know that that's the one I would have picked. And so it makes me wonder, why did David, a man after God's own heart, choose that instead of one of those other options? Because, that, again, putting myself in the hands of God or being willing to... Uh, choose the sword of the Lord is my punishment uh, is something that, you know, I don't know that I would have picked that. And um, I wanted to talk about uh, this morning, use that as, as kind of a jumping off point for us to realize that I think there are some things that David recognizes and believes and knows about God 
uh, about God's character. Some things that David relies on about God's character uh, that I think are good for us uh, to develop within ourselves uh, and, and to have the same reliance upon God and the same realization about who God is uh, in the way that we interact with God and the way that we live our lives today. Uh, to me, David picking that option, um, you know, he gives us a reason there in verse 13 that his, his reason for picking that option is that God's mercies are very great. Uh, and so when I read that, it makes me think David, I think, believed that, you know, he would be better off in God's hands, uh, putting himself in God's hands, even though it was a punishment, because he knew who God was, he knows that he's a merciful God, that, that he would be better off putting himself in God's hands and allowing God to punish uh, as opposed to putting himself in man's hand. And um, I think uh, when I... When I when I consider that, uh, again, it's challenging to me because sometimes, you know, we talk about uh, the fear of the Lord and, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Uh, and David seemed to be willing to put himself into the hands of a living God there and allow God to, to be the one that punished him. And again, that's, that's challenging for me to, to have that attitude within myself, uh, that trust in God. I think that there were uh, three things that David knows about God that we can see from this story that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first is what, what I just mentioned, that his mercies are very great. Uh, and this is something that you know, I believe David is profoundly aware of about God, that God's mercies are very great. It's, it, it, as you look in the book of Psalms, you know, you don't have to read very many psalms before you start picking up on that, uh, that David believes and knows and understands that about God's characters, that his mercies are very great. If you look in Psalms 86, in verse 5, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Flip over to a few pages to Psalm 103. And again, these are just a handful of of the Psalms that mention uh, God's mercies. Psalms 103 and verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. Uh, Psalm 106 and verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Uh, and then Psalm 119, uh, again, is uh, just one of the places we can look at in verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. And so, you know, all throughout the Psalms, the Psalms that David wrote, the Psalms that others wrote, mention uh, the fact that God is a merciful God. Uh, that God's mercies are very great and, and that uh, that is something to know about Him and to, to believe and rely on uh, about Him. The prophets indicated the same thing. If you look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 26, again, in thinking about God's character, uh, how He deals with people in Jeremiah 26 and verse 3. <clears throat> Let's start in... Uh, 
in verse 2, really, Jeremiah 26, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak, do them. Do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because the evil uh, that they are doing. And the... And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, who I am sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make a city to curse all the nations of the earth. And so here we see in Jeremiah's message to the people God's willingness to be merciful to them. If, if they will listen to the things that he's telling them and turn from their evil, uh, God will be merciful to them and not punish them. If they don't do that, uh, then he will uh, have to punish them. Look in Joel chapter 2. Again, just another one of the places in the uh, prophets where we see God's mercy uh, brought out. Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. We'll start in, in 12, I'm sorry. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Who knows if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So again, here, Joel, uh, in calling for them to repent, Talking about God's character describes Him as a gracious and merciful God, one slow to anger uh, and one who has great kindness. And, and I think these are things David firmly believed and, and was grounded in uh, about God. You know, he, he relied upon that as God's character. Look in um, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. And in, in looking in the New Testament, uh, again, we see uh, this same God described in the same way. Uh, we talked about this morning in class, you know, about how the, the God we see in the Old Testament is the same God we have in the New Testament. Uh, and, and so things that we notice in His character in the Old Testament, uh, we can count on still being His character in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, you know, again, here in the New Testament, really all throughout Scripture, what is the picture of God but as a merciful God, as one uh, who is abundantly gracious and merciful, and, and I think that that's something uh, that us as Christians, as His children, need to rely upon. Uh, it's something we need uh, to, to grow and develop a greater trust in God uh, that we're willing to give up control of our lives and put ourselves in His hand um, and, and not do the things uh, that we want. You know, we need to submit to doing the things that He wants. Um, when you read these passages, 
Uh, and when you talk about God's mercy and God's grace and, and relying on Him being a merciful God, the, the one thing that you see as a common thread through that is He's, he's merciful uh, to those that are striving to live according to His will. He's not uh, saying that His mercy is for, for us to be able to do whatever things we want to do. Uh, even the passages we looked at uh, in, about David and the passages with the prophets talked about turning away from evil and doing good. It talked about repenting of, of those things that are against God uh, and, and turning towards God and, and His mercy will accept you back uh, and, and again, He would be uh, the God to His people that He had promised. And so, you know, we don't want to want to take from this that just because his mercies are very great uh you know that it gives us license to to live however we want to live david didn't do that you know david uh realized that there were there were times when he sinned even in the example we read about uh numbering the people he acknowledged his sin and and he asked for god to take that iniquity away um and so, again, lessons we can learn from, from the things that we've been reading in, in our Wednesday night reading. A second point, our second thing, if you flip back to First Chronicles again, this same story, chapter 21, uh, you know, we just talked about David recognizing that God's character is such that he is very merciful. Uh, let's look at something else David recognizes about uh, God or about service to God. As you continue reading there, um, God begins to, to punish the people uh, with the sword of the Lord, which, which really ends up being a plague, uh, best I can tell. Uh, and the people are dying and suffering. Uh, David goes back to God and says, Look, this was my fault. The people didn't do anything. Put this punishment on me um, and and you get this discourse here in the latter part of the chapter where David is going to uh, offer a sacrifice he's instructed to offer a sacrifice to God and so he's trying to get uh, the place that he was told uh, the threshing floor if you want to pick up let's see in verse 21, it says, So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked up and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor, and he bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself, and let the Lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings for the threshing the threat for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. Okay, and so verse twenty four is the second point that I want to bring out. Uh that David realizes in making a sacrifice to God is supposed to be something that costs us something. You know, it's not supposed to be um, an uncostly sacrifice or a cheap sacrifice. Here, here someone was trying to give David the things to sacrifice and gave it, David understood 
that God's character is such that when He tells us to sacrifice, whether it's our lives or in this instance a burnt offering, is supposed to be a, something that, that is costly to us in a sense. Um, that's clear you know, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it's clear uh, in, the, in the New Testament the sacrifice that God sent for us and His Son was costly. Uh, and I wanted to look at, at a few verses just showing uh, that serving God is going to be and is supposed to be something that, that is costly to us. You know, it's never painted as anything uh, different than that uh, throughout the Bible. If, if you look back at the, in Leviticus when the old law was established, Leviticus chapter 22 We talked about this a little bit in class, but in Leviticus 22, starting um, in verse 17, and, and again, think about this along the lines of, of the sacrifices and, and them being costly. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for, offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed, nor torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your hand. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf." And so what I want us to, to draw out from those few verses is just to realize the offerings that were commanded in the old law for the Israelites to do, they were supposed to give of something valuable. They weren't supposed to give of something less valuable. The maimed or the blind, you know, stuff that, that wasn't as good to them is not what God wanted. He wanted what was good. He wanted something that cost them, uh, and, and he was clear about that. And we see the same idea in Malachi chapter 1. I think this is a passage uh, we're fairly familiar with. Uh, Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am the master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> To you priests who says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? 
Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, if you keep on reading there, it's, it's the same thing uh, repeated again or the same tone repeated by God that the, the sacrifices they were offering were unacceptable because they were offering uh, the, the lame and the, the, the things that really were no value to them. And I think that, again, that's the lesson for us to take from that is that God expects uh, our lives to be a sacrifice to Him. And, and when we see what sacrifices were, uh, they were something that uh, were costly, something that, that cost us to give to Him. Look in uh, Luke chapter 14. Here Jesus talks about uh, the costliness of serving God. Luke chapter 14. And He wants us... Uh, to realize that cost and consider that cost. In Luke 14, starting in verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost of whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, And so, again, Jesus being uh, very plain and clear there about what it could cost to serve God. Uh, and, and the picture that's painted there is a high cost. And he's wanting us as his disciples to be uh, mentally prepared and, and understand that serving God is something that can be difficult, is something that can uh, be costly in our lives. And we need to understand that and, and we need to uh, have enough trust in God uh, to be able to submit to that and, and, and uh, be who he wants us to be. Hebrews chapter 10 is another place uh, in the New Testament. I think we even mentioned this in class this morning. In talking about uh, costly sacrifices and thinking about how much it cost God to send His only begotten Son and, and uh, how costly that would have been, it, it makes sense, at least to me, when I consider that. It, it makes sense for me to to think about and understand, you know, that my response to God uh, in being appreciative for that sacrifice He's made is submitting to Him. And look at what uh, verse 26 in Hebrews 10 uh, tells us about not considering that sacrifice uh, as costly. It says... 
For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? So when you read those things in verse 29 and understand you know, that, that someone who just chooses to go about living a sinful life and rejecting the things that God has done for them, rejecting the, the things that God tells us to do, and instead uh, living in a way that, that gratifies ourself, uh, the Hebrew writer there talks about that as um, trampling the blood of the Son of God underfoot and, and counting it as a common thing. You know, not considering that it was a costly thing uh, for God to do. And, and really, you know, sometimes you hear the word cheapened uh, that sacrifice. And that's what we need to uh, beware of not doing. Obviously, we don't want to cheapen uh, the things that God has done for us. We want to realize the importance of them and, and respond accordingly. The third thing uh, that I wanted to draw from... Uh, the lesson that we started with in First Chronicles 21, we talked about God or David realizing that God's character was very merciful. Uh, we talked about David realizing that sacrifices to God should be costly, uh, that that mattered to God. And then when you look in First Chronicles 21, there was one more thing that I that I noticed that. David seems to understand and realize about God. 1 Chronicles 21. I'm going to get there in a second. In verse 30. As you continue reading uh, through that story, uh, David offers those burnt offerings. Uh, the, the Lord commands the angel. He returns his sword to the sheath. Uh, and so let's pick up in verse 28. It says, At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. Verse 30, But David would, could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. All right, and so that last verse, verse 30, uh, I think it was at least jumped out to me that God had gotten David's attention. David understood uh, that God is to be feared, even though he's a merciful God, uh, one who's very forgiving, one who's very gracious. He also understood that he's a God to be feared. And David there, seems like God had gotten his attention with all of this. And, and David has a... I don't know if you want to call it a newfound respect, but a reminded respect and, and fear and reverence for God there. Um, I feel like you see that same thing. It's almost like David had to be reminded of this at different times in his life. But uh, the story of, of Uzzah and the ark, uh, if you'll remember, we're not going to flip over there to read that, but, but when God struck Uzzah dead, uh, you know, it says David was angry and he was also afraid 
to mess with the ark anymore for a time till he figured out the right way to do that. Uh, if you look back in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so that got uh, his attention. In Psalm 89 and verse 7, uh, it says, God is greatly to be feared. Uh, Jesus says in the New Testament to fear who? Him who is able to destroy both soul and body. And so over and over again, we see this, this, this thread throughout the Bible that God is also a God that is to be respected and to be feared and, and to be honored. And so I think we see David realizing that or being reminded of that uh, here in First Chronicles uh, 21 in the story that we've been talking about. Um, look in Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12. Look, uh, and you can read really the whole chapter. I know uh, we're all pretty familiar about that, and it talks about uh, the discipline of God and the chastening of God uh, and strengthening ourselves. But as you as you read through that whole thing, uh, you get to the end of that chapter, and verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And so the Hebrew writer there, you know, making all of those conclusions, really going all the way back, if you want to start in, in chapter 11, about all of these people who serve God and the faith that they have, and then drawing these, these uh, conclusions in chapter 12. Uh, and, and at the end of the chapter, you know, basically saying that we serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And so I think this is, that was the lesson I think David was reminded of uh, by the end of that story in First Chronicles. Uh, and I think, you know, that that, uh, that got his attention uh, and, and that was a good thing. And that's, that's something that we need to remind ourselves of. And that, that's something that those stories uh, from the Old Testament, you know, as we read that on Wednesday night, uh, at least myself, I try to look for things that, that would help me today. Uh, and, you know, I'm not uh, trying to get the threshing floor of Ornan to do sacrifices today, but I am learning from reading that about God's character, about who He is, about His expectations and, and people that want to please Him, whose heart wants to please Him, and, and their attitude towards God and how they serve Him uh, during their lives. Again, if you think about this, uh, we've got a man... David, who's described as being a man after God's own heart. All right, I think everybody in the room would say that's what I want to be described as. I want to be described as a person who is is after God's own heart. Um, David was willing to fully put himself in God's hands. Uh, David had a keen awareness that God was a good God, a merciful God. That that the things that God uh, would do would really still be for his good. Uh, I think that he knew that about God's character and was, again, uh, willing to, to submit himself to that. And, you know, the applications for us today, uh, I think, can, can be the same. You know, when we're unsure of certain situations, uh, you know, unsure about 
uh, how things may turn out. A lot of times if we'll just submit ourselves to following God, uh, that'll, that will be the right uh, thing for us. And we'll see that after the fact. We'll be able to look back and see that. Um, the same thing when it may be hard or costly for us to follow His commandments. Or when we're going through uh, something difficult in our lives, uh, and even when we mess up and sin like we see David doing from time to time, each time he, he's willing to put himself in God's hands. He's willing to acknowledge his sin, uh, but he's also willing to submit himself to a loving God that he knows and believes is a merciful God uh, and, and seek God's forgiveness and, and you know, continue in living to serve God. Um, you know, when I read all this and, and think about David's attitude and what David understands about God, it makes me think of a dad and his son. You know, I'm a dad. I've got some kids. And, and what I see in my children, and, and what, you know, obviously on earth, every father-son relationship isn't uh, as good as God the Father, you know, and, and mine certainly wouldn't be. But what you see with children who have what we would consider good dads is children rely on their dads. They understand even when their dads have to get on to them or punish them about something, you know, they, they understand that's for their good. They understand that their, their dad wants to do the things that are best for them. And, and that's, that's the relationship and the picture portrayed for us as Christians. God is our Father. We are the children. And, and we need to develop hearts and, and attitudes and minds that relate to Him in that way, that respect Him as, as that authority, as our Father, and submit to Him uh, realizing that the things that He does are for our good always. And so that's really uh, the lesson that I had prepared this morning. You know, submitting to God and becoming a child of God starts uh, with obeying the gospel, uh, with, with hearing the Word or reading the Word uh, that He's given us, understanding that, that we have sinned and that our sin is against God and separates us from God and that uh, He has because of His love for us, given His Son as a sacrifice uh, so that we can have forgiveness of that sin. And when we realize that and realize that that, that is the only way uh, that we can be whole in His sight is to submit to His plan of salvation, to submit to water baptism, to have our sins washed away, and uh, to be uh, of a mind to serve Him for the remainder of our lives. That, that, that's what He wants from us, and, and He's gone to great lengths to bring that about, to provide us that avenue of salvation. And we certainly invite uh, anyone who has never done that to, to do that this morning. If you, if you have done that and, and uh, have done like David and like all of us at different times and sinned against God and, and messed up and done what you weren't supposed to do, uh, He's still a loving God and a merciful God. Uh, he's a God who will forgive when you repent of your sins and, and acknowledge those sins and come to Him asking for forgiveness. And we certainly uh, encourage everyone who uh, may need to do that also to let that be known as we stand and sing.